it was very hypocritical movement. So I would have left Hong Kong if there was no national security law. My bottom line was national security law. And I thought I had a word to say just because of this Western foreign interference to create a colored revolution in Hong Kong. I felt that I had to say something about this just to expose this movement that was manipulated by the West. And now finally Hong Kong is back to being rational, back to prosperity and back to, to democracy. Because keep in mind one thing, if there is no sovereignty, there can be no democracy. Since 2019, as a frontline a public transport worker, I witnessed those chaos and those very sad moments happening in our city. And that's the moment I realized that I, I got to do something. I, I cannot imagine the Hong Kong continuing to descend that way. We all agree that the, the unemployment rate for young people in Hong Kong needs to be improved. And of course, the housing issue. These are some very urgent matters that we need to tackle. The transition from the former government to the new government, which I think is a challenge. However, I would believe is an opportunity if various departments can work hand in hand in Hong Kong and also that Hong Kong and the um, Southern China area, Guangdong province, we can work closely with special task force. The Lion Rock spirit lies from the past to now, I think will extend to the future. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. This year marks the 25th anniversary of the establishment of Hong Kong's special administrative region. Joining our chat today are three gentlemen who live and work in Hong Kong, and they are Michael Wu, chairman of the Hong Kong-based Wu Leon Lee Group, also a member of the 13th National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, the country's top political advisory body. Gary Zhang Xingyu, newly elected Legislative Council member for New Territories North of Hong Kong, and Angelo Giuliano, Hong Kong-based Swiss financial consultant who's been living in the city for decades. Can I say that, Angelo? We could say that, you know, off and on. We could say that off and on. Off and on, sure. All right, let's start with Angelo. Can you first introduce yourself a little bit? I understand you went to Hong Kong before its return to the motherland. Why did you make such a decision when many people, especially those in the West, were uncertain or even pessimistic about Hong Kong's future? Uh, I personally had learned about the history. I thought that it was extremely important just to be to be part of that history of the handover to of Hong Kong to China to the mainland. So I wanted to be there. This is why I arrived first in ninety five, and I was actually in Hong Kong in ninety seven, just to have a first experience in this. And I actually view I had expected what China is today, just the emerging power, economic power, just that China is taking back its original power it's been holding for thousands of years. And I wanted to be part of that. To be part of that, I had to do a deep immersion into the Chinese society and and try to see somehow with Chinese eyes, I mean, you know, how Chinese were experiencing this 
and just trying to bridge, maybe myself bridging the, the, the two worlds, the Chinese world and the Western world. And, and I think Hong Kong is very emblematic of this bridge. It's the, the opening of China is, goes through Hong Kong and it's been, it's been like this for a long time. Mm, actually, during your stay in, in Hong Kong, the city went through you know, waves of twists and turns. Did you ever think of leaving? What, what kept Absolutely. you Absolutely. Absolutely. It was getting dangerous. Uh, remember those people that were in the streets, they were actually claiming that they wanted freedom and democracy. And they were absolutely the opposite of that. The single reason that myself, I felt threatened and I, I had personally lost my freedom, the, the same as millions of people in Hong Kong. It was very hypocritical movement. And uh, so I would have left Hong Kong if there was no national security law. My bottom line was national security law. And I thought I had a word to say just because of this Western foreign interference to create a colored revolution in Hong Kong. I felt that I had to say something about this just to expose this movement that was manipulated by the West. Uh, so the trigger was, was really national security law. After that, really, a lot of people say that the handover was in 97. It is not in 97. The real handover happened in 2020 when the national security law was enacted, that was the real handover. Because before that, Hong Kong was still colonized for the single fact that you had, uh, you had uh, the old colonial mentality. And now finally, Hong Kong is back to being rational, uh, uh, back to prosperity and back to, to democracy. Because keep in mind one thing, if there's no sovereignty, there can be no democracy. Mm. So... Above everything, we needed to restore the sovereignty of Hong Kong, of China over Hong Kong. Uh, after that, it became a, a China internal affair. Now I watch from outside because now this is uh, whatever happened in politics in, in Hong Kong is Chinese affair, is Hong Kong people's affair, not, mm. not a foreigner affair. I'm just stand by, you know, on, on the side and watching the development. Right. I think you were talking about the British colonial rule, and uh, you've got a very unique understanding of um, Hong Kong's history and uh, present. So now we got another guest who's also have a very unique experience. Gary, your experience of becoming a logical member in Hong Kong seems, you know, to me quite unique. Because you were not born in Hong Kong, actually. And prior to becoming a LegCo member, you were a railway engineer. So can you tell us how you became so closely involved in the development of the city? Just like you just mentioned, um, uh, and perhaps not many people know that uh, I actually grew up in Shenzhen. I came to Hong Kong to attend university when I was a teenager. And I stayed on and became a permanent resident of Hong Kong. So... So uh, Hong Kong did offer me a lot of opportunities for my personal development, such as the higher education, family. I, I actually I met my wife in Hong Kong and we have three kids now. And as well as for my professional uh, career development, I was trained and qualified as a professional engineer in Hong Kong. So this city really gives me a lot. And I feel that it's, it's time for me to contribute and, and to return the favor. So that's how I uh, got, like, like you mentioned, um, closely involved in the development of the city. Can I ask, when did this idea of becoming a logical member pop up in your mind? Why did you decide to run for a seat in the Legislative Council? 
After graduation, honestly speaking, I plan to work as an engineer and as a railway professional for many years. And uh, MTR is truly the, the the metro company in Hong Kong. MTR is truly is truly my nurturing ground. Well, I I wish to spend decades to work there. But since 2019, as a frontline uh, public transport worker, I witnessed those chaos and those very sad moments happening in our city. And that's the moment I realized that I I got to do something. I I cannot imagine the Hong Kong continuing to descend that way. For that would be the Hong Kong that has no place for people who did not speak the the same language that only the extremists spoke. Just like uh, uh, the other guests just mentioned, during that time, my family seriously considered leaving Hong Kong. It is it, it, actually it wasn't difficult for a professional engineer like me to make a decent living in any in other part of the world. But the more I saw the social and political division of Hong Kong, the more I grew to cherish and remember those、um, wholesome life that once was the norm in Hong Kong. So I eventually concluded that. No matter its absolute and the flows, I I would stay. I would stay with this city, the city I love passionately and dearly. And、uh, with the changes in the political environment after enactment of national security law, I started to、uh, see more opportunities for me to perform at the at the policy level, and I get more involved in policy discussions among different related stakeholders. So last year, I decided to run for the LACO. Uh, election and uh, fortunately, uh, I became elected, and indeed, it's one of the best choices and moments in my life.、Mm, that makes perfect sense. You, you live there. Your future is closely linked to the city, and you want to do something or put this、uh, city on the right track through a very,、yeah. very meaningful or very efficient way. That's good and. Last but not least, we go to Michael. You were born in、yeah. you were born in Hong Kong and grew up there. We could call you a genuine Hong Konger. After receiving further education、uh, in the United States, you you went back to Hong Kong in the late nineteen eighties. At a time when Hong Kong saw a small but increasing number of its residents leaving the city, so why did you decide to to return? Was it mainly because you had a family business to inherit? Thank you, thank you for the question. Now, first of all, when you are in Hong Kong, you are a Hong Konger. Okay, no matter which、sure. part of the world you come, hello, Gary. We are、mm. all Hong Kong, right?、Huh? Right. That most important of all, that we work together hand in hand, heart to heart. To your question, the more I see the world, the more I treasure and value my being Chinese as my ethnic origin. Or、uh, after all, like what my Jewish friends has said to me, we are nothing when we lose our ethnic identity. Well. I'm going to tell you that sarcastically enough.、Um, I learned from my U.S. professor more Chinese and more Chinese history than I was in Hong Kong, and I learned about the past history of a weak China that faces lots of difficulties, limitation, challenges, and lack of development. Understanding how urgently we have to make China stand up, grow, and be great again. I made up my mind to return to Hong Kong and be in our motherland. After all, like what、um, U.S. President John F. Kennedy has said, "Ask not what the country can do for you, but."
but what you can do for your country. But that's what my thought is when I just made up my mind to return to Hong Kong. Right. Thanks for the correction. So, native Hong Kongers, more accurate、uh, that I should use to to z- describe you. I understand all three of you are Hong Kongers. So now you, Michael, you are serving,、um, also serving as a, a member of the country's top advisory body, as we've mentioned, the, the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. So, has the identity of a national political advisor helped you see things? Differently, especially when it comes to、um, Hong Kong-related issues. Well, definitely, I would say that being a national political advisor, it is a pleasure with a P L E A and a pressure as P R E S S. It motivates me to view issues from a different point of view, which is a more macro point of view, and from a A st- national strategic level and a standpoint. Say, for instance, for the one belt one road point of view, we should make more contribution to the world as a responsible country and assist other countries. Infrastructure building, education, for example, we are planning to build four thousand schools in Iraq in the coming five years, and also port buildings. Etc. Well, after all, we firmly believe that multilateral cooperation is much more constructive than confrontation. This is my new, a, a different view from after being a national political advisor. Right. We we've got some、uh, taste or flavor of how a political advisor to the nation. Or his perspective of the country's development. So we'll have more of that、uh, later in the show. Now we take a look over the past twenty-five years, looking back since its return. What event or events would you say was most important in defining Hong Kong's、um, future? Angelo, would you please name one or two and tell us your reasons? Uh, I mentioned just before the the national security law that was、mm. a symbolically very important event. Right. But I would say、uh, more like practical, something more practical and very tangible is just I remember going back and forth from、uh, Hong Kong to Guangzhou. That would take me the whole day. There's no con- the connections you have now. Now it it is just mind blowing what you see. Just、uh, I live in a. Close to the station,、uh, Austin. I just go downstairs. It takes me one hour, almost like door to door, to go to the office in Shenzhen. It is just amazing, and and that shows you the integration, the integration of the Greater Bay Area, and、uh, and also there are multiple points just to go to Hong Kong. They used to have、uh, just a few points. Now, it it has become so integrated. And remember, it, it is very interesting to see the the whole integration, not only about the Greater Bay Area. But all over China, with the、uh, high-speed railway, it is making the lead time closer. It is making China much closer, m- much more united, much more efficient. It's very interesting. I've been learning, you know, the way Chinese do things. You know, you you build up infrastructure, the foundation for growth and and prosperity. So this building of a high-speed railway is showing how actually 
uh, Hong Kong is going to be integrated in this huge project of the Greater Bay Area. The combined GDP of the Greater Bay Area is $1.7 trillion. We are talking about the size of Italy in a very small area. And the prospects are huge. Just, you know, it's going to be benefiting, you know, from the growth of China and from actually not only the growth of China, the integration of uh, China within Eurasia and, and also this new trend of a shift of uh, economy power uh, towards Asia. So this this is, we are back to the Asian century. And it's, it's very, for me, it's very important to be somehow have a small, be part of that. We are because we are living history, and those those times are actually very critical. We need to have a peaceful transition, and the coming years are going to be extremely important. I'm not even touching the question of Taiwan, but that that's my biggest wish is that Taiwan comes back peacefully, and hopefully they will see that uh, that actually the one country two system works in Hong Kong, and that could be a good option for Taiwan. Mm, indeed, we are witnessing history. And Gary, your take here. I will also uh, say that the the moment that the, in in 2020 that the central government decided to decided to intervene, that's definitely a defining moment that will have a very long impact to the future of Hong Kong. And uh, from our observations, I, I think Hong Kong society has been gradually restored to peace and uh, normalcy. And with a society free from violent clashes, more and more Hong Kong people started to reflect. We begin to reflect on what are the true core values of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is diverse, but we need to be more inclusive and cohesive. And we begin to reflect on what true prosperity means. Hong Kong has always been a very rich city, but we need to fight against the severe income disparity. And now everyone in the city to live with dignity. And we begin to have the chance to reflect on what is the real identity of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is, of course, our home city and it's of course a world city, but fundamentally Hong Kong is part of China. So again, I, I think the intervention by central government in 2020 has really been very meaningful and, and, and will definitely um, influence the future 25 years of Hong Kong. And uh, Michael, do you have a different opinion or any other moments that you think is, you know, more definitive or? Well, I think from my uh, point of view, the national security law, let's say if Hong Kong is a, an, a, a phone, a mobile phone, the national security law changes the operating system, upgraded it to a more reasonable, secured, and um, effective system. And the electoral reform has upgraded our apps to a different level. We have elected capable persons like Gary to perform well with capability and patriotism um, so that, you know, the apps can also work hand in hand and, um, and people are more brave, outspoken and to contribute their talent to not only the government, but also to Hong Kong. Um, we have wasted a lot of time in the um, electrical for pointless with zero productivity issues. Uh, we need to catch up. And this is national security law and electoral reform give us the opportunity to catch up and make up the time. 
that we have lost. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. All of you talked about this、uh, national security law, but has the national security law scared away foreign investment or or inbound tourists, as some people would argue,、um, Michael? I think in the short term, and、um, it appears as if、um, some of the、um, overseas financial institution or the professionals may have alarm. I think which Angelo might might know as well, but this is understandable. However, as people and the financial institution know more about the real situation, especially the stability that would introduced after the national security law and electoral reform, especially when the new government and the new CE will commence their duty. After July first, and also that the、um, COVID will ease off in Hong Kong and in mainland, to and to reconnect with the rest of the world, I firmly believe they will act rationally and make their investment show their decision. I'm very confident. As a matter of fact, I personally have speak with leaders in various European. And Western Chamber of Commerce, the president, they have full confidence. They are staying. They are maybe a wait and see attitude, but definitely not moving away. I firmly believe that once the new government come in place, they will have much more confidence and not resume, but also to increase their investment. Yes, absolutely.、Uh, what investor wants is stability, and at that time,、uh, Hong Kong was not stable. And、uh, I just want to touch、uh, a few things just、uh, about democracy,、uh, and actually the, the fact that、uh, in what they built in Hong Kong is is very much inspired by mainland, which is a meritocracy. Meritocracy is nothing new; is a、uh, is something that has been used for thousands of years. Meaning that it's not a beauty contest that you have in the West. It's not run by the elite. The oligarch is not run by money. It's a system where you have people that get into power. You know, they get into management levels. You know, and they grow up the ladder because of performance and because of deliverables. So I'm very confident that here we will have a rational government. And finally. As Michael just said, they they can work on the task. You know, there, there was a lot of waste of time. It was the the system. People were seeking dividing. It was a dividing. It was not about how we can work together for the common good. So now this legislation is going to be a critical, extremely critical. It's going to be about focusing on deliverables and stability because this is what people want in Hong Kong.、Uh, I've been talking a lot to people in Hong Kong for the last 25 years, and the profile of of Hong Kong people are not politicized. Most of people, they are focusing on tangible things. Tangible things meaning, oh, I want a house. I want my kid to go to a good school. I want stability. People are not politicized. They're down to earth. You know, they want to see prosperity. That's all they want. And I want you just to remind 
there was a uh, 3 million people in Hong Kong that signed the petition for the national security law. People were just tired. We call this the, the silent majority. People that were not politicized, they were desperate for peaceful return of Hong Kong. Rationality, you know, because they had lost their freedom. And they, they saw that the movement was actually anti-democratic. You know, it's not the minority that should, should actually oppress the majority. This is not democracy. So uh, I think from the investor perspective, it's extremely positive. You just don't want a, a place like Hong Kong that is about to fall into a color revolution. Investors didn't want that. Once there was a, a national security law, investors started to have confidence. And keep in mind that, you know, they, uh, the fate of Hong Kong is linked to China. The prospect of China is just amazing. It's been the, the, the most prosperous region in the world, and it's all benefit for Hong Kong. When you say China, you mean uh, the mainland of China, right? Yeah, it, absolutely, the mainland. I mean, the fact that Hong Kong has always been part of China. Same as in Taiwan, you know, 50% of, the, of uh, uh, Taiwan's export comes from the mainland. So de facto, you know, you have, uh, uh, on paper, you, you might have something, but in reality, it's, uh, it's a de facto reunification. When you say people value those tangible achievements very much, then w- what would you say is the most obvious and en- encouraging progress Hong Kong's made um, over the past 25 years, in your observation? I, I would say, again, there are points to, to improve. I mean, income disparity, housing problems. I think Hong Kong could learn a lot from the mainland. Uh, just in terms of deliverables, you know, like, uh, what the, the, the achievement that the mainland has done, you know, maybe Hong Kong could be inspired by that. And, and I hope that that uh, this concept of shared prosperity will be applied to Hong Kong too. You know, this is a, you, you, this is a new trend in China, they, uh, in the mainland. In the early days, they, they said, uh, I mean, Deng Xiaoping was a, uh, he would say, let's make a small proportion of the people get rich and it will trickle down. Now we are getting more fair. You know, they're going to the directions of now people are very wealthy. Why don't we have a, this shared prosperity, more equal? And I think this would be a good thing in Hong Kong. And I really hope that, you know, we, you know Hong Kong can solve those problems. I would say two things, you know, shared prosperity and, and housing problems. Once they do that, then they get the back the backing of, of, of the most of the people. Mm, you've actually named some uh, issues or problems Hong Kong needs to deal with. So, Gary, do you see any obvious progress Hong Kong mm. has achieved over the past 25 years and the problems as well it still mm. has to tackle in the future? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, let me first start with the progress and as an engineer, definitely I would like to point out that uh, in fact, in, in the past 15 years of, yeah, 15 years, we actually f- uh, uh, rolled out and completed the 10 major infrastructure projects, including the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge and also some railway projects and also a very uh, signature uh, railway project, the Guangzhou Shenzhen Hong Kong Express Rail Link, the high-speed rail, uh, like uh, Andrew just mentioned. So these infrastructure projects really make Hong Kong and the mainland more connected and also lay the foundation for Hong Kong's long-term development in terms of housing, cultural district, new development zone, and uh, definitely the, those uh, transportation infrastructure. So 
I, I would say these are the very uh, obvious and encouraging progress that Hong Kong has achieved, and that the impacts of these uh, achievements will actually uh, play a very important role in the in the next ten years. In terms of the issues you just mentioned, and definitely um, we all agree that the the unemployment rate for young people in Hong Kong needs to be improved, and especially and the, and of course the housing issue, the subdivided flats issue, and near even up to now near half a million of residents they squeezed in in very tiny rooms, and these are some very urgent matters that we need to tackle. And also, we, we we definitely could do more in terms of the integration with other Greater Bay Area cities and develop a better segmentation with Shenzhen in terms of our future economic growth. And、uh, Michael, what would be the biggest progress Hong Kong's made from your perspective, or the thorniest issue Hong Kong has to deal with? Yes, I'm part of the Hong Kong Trade Development Council. Mm-hmm. And we are proud of Hong Kong being the exhibition center of the world.、Uh, for example, in the past twenty-five years, Hong Kong has achieved to be the the world's best and most productive jewelry show in the world, as well as in other areas, especially in the wine industry. Hong Kong has played an important role, and gradually in the art. Sector as well, and on the from the financial sector, we are proud to see Hong Kong's trading volume increasing. Also, buying out London Metal Exchange that is a significant global step as well, and that also signifies Hong Kong's role in the、uh, double circulation, which means as a hub. For the circulation with China and with the rest of the world, I think that is the great achievement. The main reason behind that, if I may say, is a reliable system, legally, professionally, and with proper talent. But most importantly, is the entrepreneurial spirit, like Angelo,、huh? to work out, to willing to try out new ideas, and capable. To execute them and be brave enough to create disruptive business models. Right, indeed,、uh, this high-rising housing prices is a real big problem, especially for you know young people. So, Angelo, you, you said you you're living by the Austin Station. I'm not quite sure where it is, but if You are going to make some,、um, you know, suggestion to a Lutchko member,、uh, for instance, Gary. I know he he's、mm-hmm. with this、um, New Territories North. So, what would you say to him? Let's, you know, make this something in in the format of making proposals. Okay, I, I you know, I, I'm I'm very humble when it comes to that. I, I think uh, uh, probably, I mean, Gary, they, you know, they've done the homework, and uh, uh, I, I would say just.、Uh, Look at,、uh, I think China. What they did was extremely smart. Was、um, you know when when there was an opening up of China, China started to look around. They were testing new models. They were looking at、uh, who's doing better and where. Singapore was part of the inspiration. They they were like,、well, we are going to follow who models that work and apply to to Chinese uh, uh, standards and and culture. So I think when it comes to Hong Kong, I think.、Uh, 
I like to to see when um, how Chinese is doing when it comes to measuring uh, people's satisfaction. There are thousands and thousands of surveys that are done in China. They are doing surveys just to understand what are the needs of people, what people want, what people lack, what people are not satisfied with. So there's an anticipation of the needs. So they're getting extremely close to the population and they, they anticipate the needs and they work on that. When you do that, the other extreme where you sometimes in the West, people need to go in the street and they, they need to do looting because the, the government don't listen. And I would say this is extreme essential. This is something that Hong Kong could learn maybe from the mainland is do surveys, do surveys constantly on measuring people's satisfactions, what people need. And that's just a small input I'd like to do. Just uh, be inspired by, by things that work, try things and, uh, and get closer to people. Because ultimately, a democratic system comes from the satisfaction level. It is very counterintuitive. It's not about universal suffrage or so on. It's about the satisfaction level. And this is why you have a Howard University study that actually shows that China is 90 to 90, around 95% of satisfaction. So uh, I would say I would say focusing on satisfaction that is extremely important, and that is the legitimacy mm. that makes the, the system legitimate. Um, after hearing what Angelo said, Gary, I don't know if you have to uh, meet and talk to um, national political advisors like Michael very often during the you know during your terms. But after hearing what um, Angelo said, what kind of proposals do you expect? Or would you make to to Michael, or mm. expect Michael to put forward at the next annual session, you know, of the of the top uh, political advisory body? I think the idea mentioned by Angel is just brilliant. It's, it's really inspiring, like especially on on the part of doing more surveys and really understand the needs and uh, what's the satisfaction levels and expectations from our 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 people. And I I, I do agree that. Uh, as a legislative member, we should always um, we should not just uh, spend time in the chamber uh, debating on the policy matters, but truly as an ex- elected official, I, I uh, we we should stay in touch with the community and uh, continue to learn and get in touch with professionals uh, from a different industry like Angelo himself, and also definitely to uh, meet and talk with uh, national uh, political advisors like Michael himself to. Uh, Put forward proposals to really uh, support the Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong's development as a better international city. And uh, after uh, learning from uh, Angelo's idea, I, I think yeah, it really brings me some uh, sparks on uh, what I should do next. Perhaps by working together with Michael to put forward some proposals on how we can better understand the real needs of ordinary Hong Kong people and how we can uh, uh, anticipate their needs and to address the issues. Yeah. Uh, Michael, you were saying? No, I, I was saying that um, we all need to work hard huh, as a LegCo member and as a MPC member. And um, for Angelo's information, I couldn't agree more. We have to work on the KPI, uh, how satisfied the citizens are, how contented they feel, and how secure they feel. Right, Michael. These are the main KPIs. <laughs> sure, and I I understand uh, uh, earlier this year during you know the the national gathering of uh, lawmakers and political advisors, 
which we we call two sessions. You made a proposal to create a, a platform based on Hong Kong's northern metropolitan area, which I guess should include Gary's constituency, new new territories north, yes, right? Yeah. So for for greater integration with the mainland. So can you? Elaborate a little bit on on this plan and uh, what would be the biggest challenge in in achieving this goal? Yes, definitely, with pleasure. Well, besides being a national political advisor, I'm also a member of a of a Hong Kong political party called BPA, Business and Professional Alliance. Now, with the think tank of our party and with KPMG, which we commissioned. To do this research for the uh, development of the uh, northern metropolitan area, we have a few key points to make. Number one, to integrate with the Sunjun's Futian tax-free zone. That will highly increase the um, cost effectiveness, the efficiency and effectiveness of the two locations. And most importantly, we are seeing that a lot of importation, foreign importations that were formerly come to Hong Kong first and then into mainland, now is doing the reverse. They go to places like um, Nansa or other ports in southern China and then come back to Hong Kong, which is not productive. And we can see that the integration between Hong Kong's northern metropolitan area with the tax-free zone would be beneficiary for both sides. Number two, medicines or products that is developed in this northern metropolitan zone will be regarded as made in China, meaning when drugs and medicines are being researched the starting date of the research for FCFDA and other international accreditation body can start simultaneously from the same starting date, which will be beneficiary and attract more company, pharmaceutical companies from China, mainland, from Europe, and also from other areas of the world. Number three is to establish new policy to attract talents from the rest of the world to live and work in the northern metropolitan area. Uh, number four, we also identified three key industries um, and have arranged a planned specific location for them, including number one, pharmaceutical, number two, food, number three, cosmetic, which from research and statistics, we identify these three to be the first starting industry in the northern metropolitan areas. So I think um, we are the goal of our research and study is based on practicality and feasibility. But having said that, I think we still would uh, face a lot of challenge, mainly is the transition from the former government to the new government, which I think is a challenge. However, I would believe it's an opportunity if various departments can work hand-in-hand in Hong Kong 
and also that Hong Kong and the um, southern China area, uh, Guangdong province, we can work closely with special task force, uh, which I already submitted proposals to the central government to speed up the whole process. Hmm. Th- does your plan uh, cover this? Uh, uh, I think it's called Northern Metropolis uh, Scheme, which was unveiled, I think, last yes. year to, to house 2.5 million people in, in the new territories district. Is it overlapping or yeah. are they you know, closely linked with each other? Um, for my pro- uh, now that you mentioned about my proposal, my proposal is mainly on the uh, developmental area for commercial and uh, research. As for residential, we will not, uh, 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 it's not covered in this proposal. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. After hearing what Michael proposed, um, Angelo, as a professional financial consultant, what kind of opportunities do you sense from such a plan? Well, I can feel that uh, people that are put in charge are, are doing their homework. They're working on uh, on integration, on seeing the what are the how they the mainland Hong Kong can further integrate and 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 use the complementarity. So it's very it's very refreshing to see Gary and Michael working for the good for the region. Uh, I would say. Would say the prospects are very interesting. Just uh, especially when uh, when you you look at the the macro level, you know, geopolitics uh, and the position of China. I think uh, from the si- finance side, I think it's uh, uh, this part of the world is going to be predominant. It will gain weight, especially in a time where there's going to be a, de- a gradual de-dollarization. Well, the renminbi yuan is going to take a, a a more important uh, place uh, it's going to be both on a financial side and and political side so it is very it's very quite quite exciting and we are in a, I, I think this uh what the central government its policy has been very conservative it's been uh, we are uh, i would say hedged from what is happening right now especially when it come when, when it's coming to inflation I mean, keep in mind that the rest of the world right now is getting the average Joe is getting poorer just because of inflation, and uh, and I think we are quite hedging. You know, we are. It is quite stable here, so this is quite refreshing. So, so from a financial perspective, it is a. Uh, it has become China has become one of the safest places to to bet on. Mm, you're seeing uh, like a promising future for Hong Kong to become or to hold to its uh, position as an international financial center over the next uh, few decades, right? But yes, absolutely. Some people have voiced their worries over things such as um, you know freedoms of travel and money flow, saying. It's impossible to to talk about the next uh, twenty five years because they they think the future is uncertain. So you mean the freedom of travel? Are you meaning like COVID related? COVID. Uh, that's what, uh, what they are. Yeah, that's what they they voice. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, well, it seems like Hong Kong is opening up gradually. It, the quarantine time for uh, tourists is is at seven days. 
I've heard talks about uh, going down to three days. So there's uh, definitely a, an opening up there. And, and this was actually, if you had asked me the question a few months ago, I would say this is a pressing issue. In order to maintain the, this, the international position of Hong Kong, you need to open up Hong Kong. But now it seems like it's very promising. Uh, so once the COVID is gone, Hong Kong is, is, is going to regain, you know, I mean, it's going to be on the forefront, you know, when it comes to financial hub, uh, it's getting more, it's going to get more and more important. Again, you know, it depends also on the, the policies of the central government. But again, I'm very confident there's, uh, since the 2020, the national security law, they are going to do everything so they maintain uh, Hong Kong as the, the pearl of, uh, of China. Mm. And uh, yeah, talking about the pearl of China, Michael, how confident are you about Hong Kong's future, you know, as still being the pearl of uh, the Orient? I guess that's the term when we talk about um, Hong Kong. Yes, I'm highly confident. But however, confidence must come with actions, concrete actions, in fact. Now, from various sectors... I think we are all working very hard to keep the sustainability of Hong Kong being financial center as well as pearl of the Orient. Now, from my side, we have been working hard with our special task force to benchmark with countries near Hong Kong and also not so near Hong Kong. Now, we have to benchmark on various attractiveness to foreign investors like Angelo. Now, we need to make them secure, contented, and satisfied at the same time. So competitiveness, including taxation, ease of operation, efficiency in getting licenses, attractiveness with their financial investment and return, and repatriating their money back from their investment being no matter in the mainland or in Hong Kong. Now, we have um, already launched this benchmark mechanism to watch very closely with collecting all the key information of, of the competitors. Now, the next thing is once the new government will commence their duty, actions will start immediately without delay. We cannot afford to lose any step front from, uh, for Hong Kong. So concrete action will be done. And we believe that not only Hong Kong government, but the central government is determined to keep Hong Kong's unique role because this will serve the world, serve Hong Kong, and serve China well. So I'm confident with all these concrete actions and And this determination, I'm fully confident. And Michael just mentioned how important the action is in achieving the goal you set. So, Gary, as the younger generation, what kind of uh, concrete action do you expect the young generation, the younger generation can have to create more opportunities for Hong Kong? How attractive do you expect Hong Kong to be, um, you know, in attracting talents from around the world, talents like you from around the world. I, I think um, Michael rightly pointed out that uh, for a city like Hong Kong, 
uh, it's a history that people come in and go. But what's the most important point is to maintain the attractiveness of Hong Kong to mainland or overseas talent, and uh, we need concrete actions. Uh, I think, in fact, we uh, Hong Kong should continue to reinforce its uh, those uh, traditional industry like financial sector, like the trading sector. But at the same time, we also need to. Establish or build up our new growth engine, and uh, what we just uh, t- discussed, the, the new territories north, the area is is a perfect place because we have uh, a huge amount of uh, land reserve and uh, a lot of untapped opportunities that we could build our new new industries in in those in uh, at, at those dens. So that's definitely one area that we should focus on because new growth engine means new uh, job opportunities. And uh, new job opportunities are critical to youth development. And also, I think um, we should do whatever we could to attract new talents from both mainland and from overseas. We should actually roll out new policies to to uh, make their life in Hong Kong easier. And and also need to tackle the also we just mentioned the high rising property prices and to make sure our residential units are more affordable. And the last one on this, I still think we need to cherish and maintain uh, some of the very um, uh, good values or good systems in Hong Kong, like our legal system, our tax system, our our education system, and also very efficient government. So I, I think these things that we really need to work together with different sectors to deliver results to maintain the Hong Kong status as a China's uh, international city. Mm. And obviously, spiritual support is important, especially when a person or when a uh, city or a nation is experiencing some difficulties. I understand this um, lion rock spirit, which is described as a perseverance and solidarity in the face of adversity and which is said to be the core values um, cherished by Hong Kong um, residents from generation to generation. Michael, do you see that spirit lasting in, in the younger generation of Hong Kong? To share with you, well, the Lion Rock spirit lies from now, from past, I think will not from the past to now, I think will extend to the future. Frankly speaking, the uh, adversity starting from my great-grandfather when he moved to Hong Kong and then on to my grandfather, father, and even today that we are facing. But we do stand firm and, and, and trust not only in ourselves, but most importantly, especially nowadays, the solid support of our motherland being our strongest back shield and support. And like um, one of my favorite motto from Dr. Robert Schuller said, tough time never last, tough people do. And I believe the relying rock spirit signifies the toughness of the Hong Kong people and including, of course, Angelo, Gary, and myself. We are tough. <laughs> right, I can see that. And last question to all of you. Can you please describe what Hong Kong means to you in simple words and what's your vision of Hong Kong over the next 25 years? Uh, let's start with Angelo, please. Well, I confirm with uh, what Michael said. Uh, 
uh, we're talking about weight of people, hardworking, uh, people that love love their city. Uh, and uh, I'm one of them. Uh, I, need, uh, I want to say that, you know, I have decided to stay here. I mean, I've been in the region for 27 years. Uh, the last decade is going to be here just for the simple fact that I have a family. And uh, if you have a family, this is uh, one of the best, most beautiful city to live in. Uh, so I, I've put my, my future and my, my present and my future in this city because I, I've grown to love it and, and I feel that I'm, I'm part of it. And, and I'm part of it because of, uh, because I was, how I was treated and, and the acceptance and, uh, and the fact that it's a cosmopolitan, it's international city, welcoming, uh, uh, everybody who, who wants to come here, work hard and contribute. Gary? Yeah, um, if I use one word to describe what Hong Kong means to myself, that will be future. Um, the future of any city, including Hong Kong, always only counts on those who choose to stay and build. And this is a universal fact. So it is my firm belief that Hong Kong, with its people like myself, like Michael, like Angelo, who truly love it and choose to stay and build, will recover from those uh, previous challenges and uh, Hong Kong will definitely shine again and be a place that we we are all proud to live and stay in and so do my uh, kids and also the next generations. Yeah. And last but not least, Michael. Yes, please. I think Hong Kong is where our heart is. Okay, when our heart is there, everything works. Okay, and my vision for Hong Kong in the next 25 years, that it will continue to play a significant role in contribution of this unique advantage to the motherland and the world. We all actually wish the best for Hong Kong. And on that note, we've come to the end of this episode of Chat Lounge. Many thanks to Angelo Giuliano, Hong Kong-based Swiss financial consultant, Gary Zhang Xingyu, Legislative Council member for New Territories North of Hong Kong, and Michael Wu, member of the 13th National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, for sharing your insightful views with us. You can leave a review for us either on the topic or on the show. Please subscribe to The Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Give me lunch in a local cafe, walk into a